This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. Howdy, stranger. What can we do for you? You want to hear what this here podcast thinks of a town called Mercy? Well, pull up a stool and we'll tell you. <laughs> Michelle's going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Doctor Who podcast. And as James said in his rather fine Irish accent, uh, we're here to to review uh, A Town Called Mercy. Uh, Having just watched it, let's just remind ourselves of what we've just seen. I'm the Doctor. This is no need to stand. Don't worry, everything is completely under control. Everyone who isn't an American, drop your gun. So, as I said in last week's episode, in reference to dinosaurs on a spaceship, uh, um, when I was calling back to Asylum of the Daleks, could could any episode possibly attain the, the same level of quality and drama as uh, as Asylum of the Daleks? Uh, and I'm going to ask Ian this time. Uh, do you think Toby Whithouse may have done this with A Town Called Mercy? I don't think it's quite up to the the heady heights of Asylum because I really loved Asylum. But this was a really good episode. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a step above dino- Dinosaurs in a Spaceship was a good fun romp. Nothing wrong with it, but it, just another story. It's not going to win any awards. This, I thought, was a really strong contender as being a sort of standout episode. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen the rest of this year yet, but... Uh, I don't think it's quite as good as Asylum. I did really, really like it, though. Yeah, it's it's certainly an extremely strong episode. I I I sort of half expected not not to not to enjoy it because I've never been a fan, uh, even as a as a small child, never been a fan of uh, of, of the Western. Never really got what the Western was about, uh, despite the fact that uh, as many people in, in Doctor Who fandom have pointed out that. Doctor Who has many similarities to, to to the Western style of telling stories. He is the he is the stranger that wanders into a town, sorts out the problems, and then disappears, which is which is a common theme in in Western films. So, uh, having a Doctor Who uh, set uh, in in the American Midwest is you know it, it seems to make perfect sense. They're very good bedfellows, and I have to say, I was completely won over by this episode. I I cannot think of of any any detractors any any aspects of the of the show that I didn't like. Um, it did feel like a mini western. Uh, certainly benefited immeasurably from being uh, filmed out in Spain um, in, in a, on a set which has been used for over a hundred westerns. I, I believe some of the some of the great classic westerns have, have been filmed out there, um, and it certainly gave it a, a, a huge a scope and, and, a, and a filmic feel to it, which is obviously what they're going for this year. So, in those respects, uh, in, in, the, in respect of the story, in respect of the the filming uh, and the direction, it, it hit every button for me. I thought it was. 
brilliant, I have to say. I think this is probably the strongest episode of Doctor Who that I've seen in a very, very long time. And um, similar to you, Lisa, you know, I'm not particularly keen on the on the Western genre, if genre is the right word. I mean, I think the only thing that I'd watch regularly that involved deserts and cowboys and stuff was Champion the Wonder Horse, and that was probably <laughs> about 20 years ago. Um, but I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, I kind of expected it to be a comedy so i was i was quite surprised really when i realized that they were playing it very very straight probably as straight as any matt smith episode has been played um since since he became the doctor and you know i just look at my expectations i look at dinosaurs on a spaceship and i i thought at the time that he's really going to be pushing it to be you know a really good episode and and yet my expectations were you know slightly pitched too low for that episode i enjoyed it more than i thought i would whereas this episode i enjoyed it a hundred times more than i thought i would uh, you're right it looked fantastic it looked better well it looked better than champion the wonder hall certainly um and it, it looked well cinematic i'm fed up with using that word really describing this season but it was big it was immense it looked fantastic and and the the guest cast as well and uh, isn't is it ben browder that's who right, was the yeah. sheriff now i've never seen him in anything before but i understand he's um plays a prominent character in farscape and uh, you know people seem to think he's a very very good actor and I think he was the most convincing cowboy I've ever seen. Now, I have no idea about accents. And again, this is something that uh, it would be great to have Michelle on the show to, to comment on. But as far as I'm concerned, these were pitch perfect. They were at least pitch perfect uh, to a viewer with British ears. <laughs> so I, I just found it fantastic and infinitely more compelling I'm afraid, than Nicola Bryant's um, American accents, if, if you're to compare the two. But I, I just think it was wonderful. I, I think the inspiration behind this episode would be really interesting to know. But I, I don't know if either of you are big readers, um, and even if you are, whether you've read any of Stephen King's stuff, but he attempted years ago to come up with something akin to Lord of the Rings, his fantasy thing, but it was set in a alternate world, it was called the Dark, the Dark Tower, Tower. Yeah. Dark Tower series, yeah. And the first book is called The Gunslinger. In fact, the um, the leading character is a gunslinger throughout all eight books now, I think it is. And it just felt as if the way the world Stephen King had created had been put on screen, but in a Doctor Who. It was sinister without being dark. It was just incredible I, I i really really enjoyed this episode i can't really think of enough superlatives really um i i, I think the the way that you know last episode and you can contrast it to dinosaurs so so easily the doctor ran around picking up what was comic book companions this there was five i think in, in total really uh, if you include amy and rory this time around amy and rory was, was all that's necessary you know it was a tight companion piece and it was as much about character and as much about the way the actors in the characters interact with each other as it was about the story about the alien being stranded and the cyborg coming to you know kill him basically uh, and and it was great you said Gleason that you had difficulties coming up with any negatives now I don't think I've ever been in that position and I, but there is just one <laughs> I've got and it's minor absolutely minor one of the things that I 
detest almost, and I think detest is probably not strong enough a word about Star Trek, is that the way they identify aliens is by having humans with slightly larger ears or a, a, a furrowed brow or um, you know just a mark on them somewhere to show that they're not human. And sadly, again, the, the character, and again, I've forgotten the name now, uh, but the name of the character who was being chased, the only way of identifying him was this kind of three mark on his cheek. Otherwise, he was a fairly pleasant human. Uh, but aside from that, then I had no trouble with this episode and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I have no, uh, no 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 gripes about that, really. Uh, hadn't occurred to me until, until you said it that it was kind of a Star Trekism, and I, and I suppose in a way it is. On the subject of Ben Browder, he is actually a genuine American, um, although he doesn't have that, that Southern American drawl, quite, and, and he did... Uh, he did manage to to portray the the, the sheriff cowboy character really well, but he that, that is a genuine American accent that he's doing, which would explain why it's so good. Uh, as as for some of the other people in the show, I'm not entirely sure. I suspect the preacher is a genuine American because uh, yeah. to my English ears, that that seemed like a like like a, a good accent. And I mean, the whole episode felt very very um, authentically American and and Hollywood Western style. And I, I love this sort of slightly tatty look to it all where the people's clothes was a bit dirty and ragged and it actually looked quite realistic for that reminded me and someone's got to say this reminded me a little bit of firefly actually in terms of how the, <laughs> yes. the western aspects in there were always quite grubby and dirty and realistic and down to earth um and this had a similar vibe going to it and like the like both of you i'm not a huge fan of the western genre um but this was it, it felt very familiar you saw all the tropes coming out and they were well used um, interesting question for both of you. Do you think this was a base under siege episode? Because the setup is absolutely classic like that, but the threat was never really outside. The threat was inside, and I, I, I thought Toby Whithouse was playing with that a little bit in terms of turning it around. Yeah, it was kind of a, a nice inversion of, of that standard Doctor Who um, uh, story that they're based under siege. And and you know, I, I, I didn't see it coming, and I, and I like that about Doctor Who. And, and it used to happen a lot more in the uh, in the classic series, I think, where you would have characters who who you thought you'd got worked out uh, by episode one or two, uh, and then uh, later on in the serial, they they would they would do a sort of a, a switch around. Um, so yeah, to me that that was a classic Doctor Who trope, uh, and I. I I like it when Doctor Who is, um, or an episode of Doctor Who is is confined to a to a small area. I'm a big fan of the base under siege. I know it was it was done to death during the during the Troughton era, but but yeah, I like that. I like that small cast of characters um, because sometimes if you open something up too much, you end up with a sort of a, a watered down plot. I almost feel I'm doing the story a disservice just by trying to pigeonhole it a little because it wasn't a typical Doctor Who story in any way. In fact, it was much more like a. A Firefly episode, and I think when you place the characters of the Doctor, Amy and Rory in a very different kind of environment and a setting, I think the threat is bigger. It feels bigger and more tangible, and hence the reason why the Doctor says, give me a Dalek any day. You know, yes, the Daleks are supposed to be the most threatening power in the universe, but when you put him, the, I, the Doctor, into a situation where he's being threatened by a bunch of Americans who have no idea what's going on, it's totally outside his comfort zone. We haven't seen him deal with that before. Um, the fact that he walks around with a Stetson at the end of last season, um, you know, comes out with silly ideas like having a straw in his mouth at the beginning of the impossible astronaut because he thinks it's cool and all of a sudden he's faced with real life midwest americans who will shoot him at the drop of a hat and for toby whithouse to to bring that situation about in a convincing way that 
doesn't allow the audience to doubt its authenticity in any way whatsoever. I think that's a massive achievement. And I really don't think I can eulogise about the way <laughs> this story has, has come together um, any, any more than I have done already, really. I have a question. Um, uh, the, the, big, uh, the big dramatic moment in this story uh, for me was, was when the Doctor is on the, uh, the border of the town, the little stone border, uh, and, and he holds the gun to the head of, uh, of the, uh, the alien Doctor whose name escapes me. Uh, now, are we seeing a retread of, of Doctor Number 10, the, the Dark Doctor um, becoming full of himself? Uh, or do you, do you think that we're going to be going in, in a slightly different direction with Eleven? Or is it just, is it just the same story being retold? Oh, I, I think it's somewhere in between the two, frankly. I, I think it's probably... I think it's doing a little bit of a disservice to call it a retread, but it does examine similar kind of... Territory. I mean, I think if you look at um, the last episode, the punishment that he dished out to Solomon, I mean, he, he killed him. I mean, there's no two ways about that. And not only that, he killed him with a fairly glib, cheesy line, a bit like Roger Moore <laughs> out, of, uh, out of one of the slightly worst Bond films. And, and yet you go on to this kind of story, and then I think, I, I think Doctor Who, at its core, certainly nowadays tells a story about a man who knows what the right thing to do is, but struggles to do it at times, given situations. And I think Mercy just gave him a different situation to examine that seeming contradiction, if you know what I mean. And and therefore he thinks, yeah, the right idea might be to kill someone, but yet the person, and it's ironic really, the person who makes the Doctor realise that this isn't really working is... A cowboy, a sheriff who carries a gun permanently. And the sheriff, it could be argued, acted in a more doctorish way than the doctor. And that's happened. It happened in Dalek. It happened with Rose and the Ninth Doctor. It happens pretty much in The Waters of Mars, where the whole Dark Doctor thing came out or started. And now it seems to be happening in the game. But I, I don't really feel it's going over old territory. I thought that there was some really interesting ambiguity in this episode, that on the surface, it's a western, there's cyborgs, there's people with six shooters, and it's great fun action. But actually, there's no clearly defined goody or baddie anywhere within this story. The cyborg, very early on, you see him refusing to shoot because it'll harm innocence, and you realise that this is a, uh, not just a straightforward Dalek-style killing machine. And then... The part you talk about how the doctor was going to throw uh, Kalajek, Jack, Jack, something like that, yeah, out of the city and uh, at the town rather at gunpoint to sacrifice him for the greater good, uh, was in perfect counterpoint to his actual crime, which was that he had sacrificed the the, the, the people to end up as being cyborgs for the greater good of saving his race. And if you actually stop and look at it, is what the doctor's doing really any different from what? that doctor did and the fact that they're both doctors you know you can see the interchangeability here and as as you go through you know th th this isn't a character who's a cackling scheming bad guy uh neither is he an evil scientist he actually genuinely believes he did the right thing and he's actually ashamed of some of what he did but he did it for the right reasons and there is no black and white here and you see that going over into the doctor as well um and i think that that's a very interesting subtext same that tom's not here to to wax lyrical about it um within what was otherwise a straightforward 
it's a cowboy story. Mm. I mean, I, I was as, as I was watching it, I I was minded of uh, Boomtown and the similar kind of moral dilemma that the Doctor faces in that, which was um, you know whether whether to take um, uh, Blenfell Foch uh, back to be to be killed, and you know, you know whether whether there was a moral dilemma there. And I found that quite interesting, although I thought this was done. Uh, a, a lot better. Yes, it was so much better than Boomtown. I was really hoping you were going to say it was the same kind of thing, but done so so much better. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, I remember really liking the the moral theme in, in Boomtown, but not 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 the overall episode. And it's interesting to put these themes uh, in front of the minds of children, uh, because uh, they are they're certainly themes that, that children won't have had to 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 uh, experience or or to um, to come to terms with. So you're laying quite heavy ideas in, in front of the minds of babes, and, and that's what Doctor Who is all about for me. It's expanding your mind, as I said last week. And that, that seems to be a theme that's starting to come through this whole series for me. I mean, generally I'm finding this season so far to be much lighter and brighter than last season, which was very, very dark throughout, both in the look of it and how it played. But equally, there's some really dark concepts lurking around in the back of this. I mean, this whole thing about surgically altering people and the, the scene where the doctor's listening to the screams in the ship is actually very black. And actually, you go back to last week in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, as light a piece of fluff as has ever been in Doctor Who. But in the middle of it, you've got a really quite evil character who uh, was slaughtering all the Silurians and tr- trading people for slaves and there's actually a very dark concept lurking at the heart of this otherwise fluffy story. Is, is that any different to how Doctor Who stories have been told for the last 50 years though? I mean even if you go back as far as the 1960s there are some William Hartnell stories that on the on the face of it are very very fluffy. Planet of the Giants at the moment oh that's a good romp and everybody thinks it's a uh, it's a lot of fun and the inspiration for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But but deep down, it's it's all about someone killing somebody else and how how the other characters react to this to that situation that's created by an act of murder. And I and I think the juxtaposition between dark and fluffy within Doctor Who has always been at the heart of the way stories are told. And I think executive producers have the ability to to move the the the, the notch on the dial, if you like, up a little bit. And he can bring that contradiction to the fore, and I, I think that's what happened in Mercy. Um, but uh, I, I tell you what, I, I thought. I mean, again, I, I don't know whether or not this is just a silly idea or not. But given given the way that the story was told, and it was serious, and it was tight, the one person who I would have expected to have been really at home in a Wild West situation or or setting is is River Song, and again I think she was brilliant in the Impossible Astronaut with with her cowboy hat, and of course she's a marksman as well. Would that have totally undermined the serious tone of this episode? And if that's the case, is River Song? And yes, I am going off on a bit of a tangent here. Is 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 River Song nothing more than light relief? I, I think there was actually barely enough stuff here for Amy and Rory to be doing. Other than pulling, you know, the lonely god down and saying this is what happens when you're on your own and giving his mercy back, they didn't really do very much. Uh, the Doctor made most of the play in this. Um, I think if you'd brought in River as well, who is kind of a, a one a, an extra half a Doctor when you need it, um, it would have been too much. There'd have been far too much to fit into this into this story. I don't think it would have worked. I, and I do agree. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that it would have benefited from her presence, but I can just see Alex Kingston in you know a Wild West bar making quips at the piano player. You know, I, <laughs> whilst drinking a neat whiskey. I, I just think I've probably thought about this too much. 
I, I think if we if we had got that in the episode, I think we would be sat here discussing how uh, she'd been shoehorned in. Um, uh, yeah, but just going back to the, the educational value of, of this sort of episode and, and the dark ideas that that uh, the Doctor Who um, can can put in in a sort of fluffy way, or it's almost like a Trojan program for um, for these sorts of ideas and children. It's always been well, it was initially started as a kids show, but you look back right to the first serial with the the scene, the infamous scene with the Rock uh, and the Doctor going to slay one of the savages. So those sorts of dark ideas were there right from the first serial, and then you go into into the first Daleks story. Uh, so it, it's it's always it, it, it's almost as if the production team have always seen it as a as a like, as I say a Trojan program. A Way of getting these ideas to uh, the minds of children, um, and I, I, I can't, I can't love the program enough for that. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the one hardcore sci-fi element in this episode, and that's the cyborg himself. Um, again, I, I said that I only had one negative. I mean, maybe I've got one and a half because I really didn't like the voice. It was far too boomy, far too 80s universal soldiery, really, for me um, to, to really enjoy. In fact, the whole concept of the cyborg is a little bit universal soldier. Uh, do you know, I, I, I quite liked it, uh, and I... See, I, I I like that in a Doctor Who monster. If you look back to the old series, um, the, the ones with the really iconic voices, you know, Cybermen. I mean, I, I, 80s Cybermen. I, I love that modulation they do on the voice. Absolutely wonderful. Daleks, uh, famous for the use of the ring modulator. I think that's 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 part of what Doctor Who's about. Um, having a really alien sounding alien, uh, and I, I love the Gunslinger. I thought he was very well realised, very well portrayed. And I also like the switcheroo that, uh, that you know, he, he wasn't really the villain of the piece. I liked the look of him and I liked the way he was played and the role he played in the story. I have to agree with James, the voice didn't work for me. Um, it's not the tone of it. It sounded too much like some guy in an audio booth somewhere with a bit of reverb on. And for me, it, it wasn't connected to the picture on screen. It sounded like it had been dubbed on. Um, and it didn't feel like it was, you know, the, the the echo and the resonance. You know, he's out in the middle of the desert, and it's sounding all like resonant and echoey as if he's in a church hall, and it just didn't work. And it's a shame because it did pull me out a little bit, but it's a fairly minor niggle in the story from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe they should have had Mitchell and Webb voice him as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. I can't see a little bit of oil coming out of this cyborg somehow. Anyway, have we got anything else to say about uh, A Town Called Mercy? Which is always really, it's a little bit sad sometimes because I think we get to the point where we feel the conversation needs to needs to wrap up and yet it's one of the best episodes we've seen in ages. And does that mean that we just argue most of the time or enjoy complaining about bad episodes? There is far too much consensus in the camper van. We really need Trev back. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Trev's view on dinosaurs because I think I, if I could do an Australian accent, I might record it as Trev because I know precisely what he's going to say. <laughs> now, I would like to make just quickly make reference to the, the direction um, uh, in this episode, and I believe the same guy did uh, did dinosaurs as well. Is it Sal? Saul Metstein, I think. Yeah, because these were his first uh, directing jobs for the show. Well, yes, he did all of Pond Life as well. Ah, did he? Did he? Well, he's mm. uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a he's a he's a great director, and uh, I think uh, it's, it's good to. to to have him on board with the show. Uh, I noticed that he was second unit director on the uh, 
latest Judge Dredd film as well. So. Ah, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. I'm not surprised he's going places. No, he, he certainly has that that Hollywood epic feel to to his direction, which um, which is is what this series was pitched as, and certainly what it's managed to achieve. Yeah, I, I wonder whether or not it's a case that he's his directing has had a major influence in that. And uh, I, I never mean to undersell the director's role, but I think there are times you can have the best director in the world, and if you're given a lousy script or, or you know, not sufficient money, then you, you can't really create something that good. And I, I still think Keith Boak, who directed Rose all the way back in 2005, was... Uh, you know he's he's a subject of derision within Doctor Who fandom about how poor a director he is. Uh, he also he also did Aliens of London and World War Three. I think that I think he did a darn good job, and I wonder whether he was given the time and the budget um, of, of something like A Town Called Mercy, and whether or not something different would materialise. Um, I, I also wonder whether or not. Moffat had decided upon the tone of this season being Hollywood, being filmic, being cinematic, and then getting directors who had, you know, aspired to that to 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 join. Um, whether that well, this is it. I mean, um, you do wonder how RTD sort of pitched Rose and uh, you know, Aliens of London. Or that whole series to uh, to the directors because it did have a kind of wacky sort of Batman feel to it, and, uh, with uh, and also with the music as well. And, and I, I suspect that, that was the vision they were going for. Um, but you know, if, if you if you get a, a young director in or an up and coming director and you say, "I want a forty five minute Hollywood blockbuster," that must be that must be a dream for any director. Um, Conversely, even Ridley Scott would have struggled with farting aliens. <laughs> 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 I'm I'm not sure. I think he might have pulled it off with a bit more panache. You never know. No, I I, I think that whole concept that was flawed to start with but uh, but get, going back to this particular story or this season at least I, I think this is the strongest start to a, a Doctor Who season since 2005 for me completely I mean I've never enjoyed the first three episodes as much as I've enjoyed these first three episodes you too I would I would agree with that I do have a negative about a town called Mercy and a clear yeah. one which was at the end when they're walking back to the TARDIS and Amy suddenly stops and goes oh can you just drop us off at home, please? Which was pretty much the exact same thing that Rory had said last week in Dinosaurs and a Spaceship. Mm-hmm. And I found that incredibly clunky and tacked on. And it's obviously the, the through-line theme for this season, this half-season, that they keep going back home and coming back mm. into the story. And I just felt, after what was a really nice, well-scripted, well-plotted story, that just appeared it had been glued on the end and reminded me really strongly of last year when the Doctor was pulling down the screen with the flipping back and forth pregnancy thing, mm-hmm. which again was just tacked into stories to, to create a thread. And yeah. for me, that, that just really clunked badly and jarred. I, I, I certainly agree with you about last year's tacked on bits, and I think it was... Oh, what was it now? Was it the Almost People, I think, where you got the big revelation that Amy was a ganger, etc.? Yeah, that all felt to me to- totally incidental. This particular episode, Town Called Mercy, didn't affect me. really didn't bother me at all, and I certainly wouldn't have compared the two. Um, I-, I do think the, the- this whole se- season is leading to the de- Pond's departure. I mean, it started with Pond Life, which I think set up the whole premise of the Doctor dropping in and out rather than having a consistent period of time with his companions. 
And I, I think the only script that we're going to get that focuses exclusively on the Ponds is The Angels Take Man Manhattan. And I think, once again, New York and I think The Angels are going to be a backdrop and the real stage is going to be given to Amy and Rory and how all of these little bits of pieces that have been drip-fed to us through Pond Life, through what will be then the first four episodes of Season 7, how they culminate and how it's going to be heartbreaking, etc., etc. So... For me, it's not a surprise. It doesn't feel particularly tacked on, and I, I, I can live with it this time around. What, what was it that really, really got to you, Ian? What, what was it that you made you describe it as clunky? It, it's not the fact that they're putting the threads in. That's fine. I mean, we've been doing that every year since the show came back, going all the way back to Bad Wolf. I just thought that the execution of it was poor where it, it wasn't in any way integrated into the story that had been before it. It was just literally they're walking towards the TARDIS doors and Amy just stops and delivers this line, which is almost a mirror of the line that Rory had given in exactly the same circumstance at exactly the same point in the story last week. And it, and it just felt forced. It just didn't flow for me. And I can see why you want to put the message in there. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I'd just like to have seen it woven in a little bit more subtly, to be honest with you, rather than just clunk. Here's the theme for this year that we're going back home again. I'll tell you what I'd like them to do. And let's make me care about Amy and Rory, particularly about Amy. Now, we haven't got long before <laughs> they go yet. And I've, and I've said this several, several times. I'm becoming like a broken record. But I've never been emotionally invested in Amy's character. If she died... I'd get over it quite quickly. Rory, a slightly different kettle of fish. Um, but, I mean, how do you two feel? Uh, how do you two feel about Amy? I only have three grown men talking about a fictional woman, but hey, what the hell? I th I, see, I think we... I think fandom will, and, and certainly all the the aspects of or the areas of fandom that, that don't like the the, uh, the Amy character will be surprised when she goes. And I think in in retrospect, we will look back at this era uh, of the you know the ponds in the TARDIS uh, with with uh, more fondness than a lot of people expect. I I don't hate Amy, but I've never warmed to her. She's never been a character that I particularly thought wow, I really enjoy her character within the the show. So I, I can very much take or leave her. Um, and having seen what we hope will be the new companion um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm far more interested in that character and seeing that character in the show. So uh, I, I don't hate Amy. I'm not going to be dancing in her grave when she goes, assuming that she <laughs> dies. Um, but e e equally, I'm not going to be there in, in floods of tears and going and finding some memorial wall somewhere to put lots of pictures up. So in answer to your earlier question, James, yes, it, it appears we do have a lot more to say about a town called Mercy. Lisa and Ian, anything more intelligent and exciting to say about A Town Called Mercy? Anything more intelligent and exciting? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. That's a high bar for us to try and reach. <laughs> <laughs> it's, also, it's also implying that we've, we've done some intelligent and exciting stuff prior to this. It is, but I think we'd have got away with that had you not articulated it. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> Okay, three episodes into season seven and many of our emails have been commenting about the episodes and also sending us feedback about our thoughts, which is fantastic. Thank you very much. And we're going to be featuring them on the podcast very, very soon. In fact, 
Some other emails have been questioning the absence of certain DWP hosts, that being Tom, Trev and Michelle, and I'm pleased to say that they will be back on the next episode of the Doctor Who podcast to sift through the mailbag. So, if you're listening to this minutes after A Town Called Mercy has transmitted, that means it's Saturday night, if you can get your audio feedback on A Town Called Mercy to us by Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and that's in UK time, BST, then you stand a chance of making it into that particular episode where Tom, Trevor, Michelle will be taking you through the feedback that we've received. Now, if that's not too timey-wimey, I don't know what is, and if you're listening to this in six months' time, pff, it's not going to mean anything to you. <laughs> But Trev's absence is because he's based in Australia and doesn't get a chance to see these episodes in sufficient time to make the review podcast, sadly. And and Tom, well, Tom's been very, very busy with work and gigging and doing lots of other Tom things. So uh, he hasn't left. He will be back. He will be back shortly. And Lisa and Ian and I will be putting our feet up for a week or so. So that's it for our review of A Town Called Mercy. Join us next time for our feedback episode and join us for our review episode mere minutes after the show is aired for our review of Para 3. So until then, this is me, Listen Fisher, saying cheerio and this is James saying bye for now and this is Ian saying speak to you soon. That was the Doctor Who Podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.